You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. My name is Kara Smith, and I'm a third-year PhD student in the Steve Mackesy Venom Lab in the biology department. I always enjoyed biology. I knew that I wanted to work with animals, and when I was in college, I got to intern at a museum, and they had a live animal lab, and we had a bunch of snakes, and I got to see just how much people misunderstood about them and how much they hated snakes and I really got the chance to educate people that they're not slimy and dangerous and all these things and I got to see that shift immediately so that's kind of what got me into snakes. Um, I also got the chance to do field work when I was in college and I was really bad at it because I had bad eyesight at finding snakes and everything Um, but I kind of fell in love with the hard work of field work and I also had a lot of training in molecular biology, so I knew that I wanted to get something that kind of spanned working with an organism in the field all the way down to doing molecular biology. And so that's why I chose venoms and snake venoms in particular. When you say field work, are you going out there and finding snakes, mm-hmm. bringing them back, or are you getting venom out there, or, or should I even say venom? What, what are you doing when it comes to field work? Yeah, so we do both. Um, A lot of the time, so for example, this past summer, we were in Idaho, Washington, Oregon, looking at potential den sites, known den sites, looking for new populations of rattlesnakes. And there we would extract venom and then re-release them. Uh, We do have permits for Colorado. You know, there are rattlesnakes within like half an hour of Greeley. So we will actually go collect them and bring them back to our snake room in the animal facility here at UNC. And we'll keep them for a few days, extract venom, extract blood, and then re-release them. It's a lot safer to do it that way than extract in the field, but you gotta do what you gotta do. I've heard in the past that snakes, or like uh, at least particularly rattlesnakes, have been invasive. Uh, at least they've gone from one area and then they've they've come to another area mainly because like you're moving hay. Mm-hmm. Is is that part of any part of your research? If anything, we're invasive in their territories because they have a very regular sort of behavioral patterns every year. They come back to the same den site, they'll spread out to the same areas. They're doing their thing, we're kind of getting in their way. Mm-hmm. And a big thing in Colorado right now is that people are building farther and farther into the foothills for better and better views, which is fine. Um, But they're also building houses right on top of den sites. And they're having to have the same rattlesnakes removed from their yards over and over again because those snakes are just doing what they've always done. Right. And what else? Yeah. Do they know? Okay. Yeah. And when you bring snakes back here, fully alive and everything? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then how long... Do they stay here? Do they remain here for the rest of their lives? What what does that look like? Some of them do. Most of them, we have a very full uh, lab downstairs. Most of them will go back to their den site within a week. We don't like to keep them longer. But some of them we keep essentially for the rest of their natural life. And they become a really good repository of venom that we can extract once, mm, probably less, um, every month. 
and we can just stockpile venom essentially. It's kind of like liquid gold because that is what our bread and butter is in the lab. So we can essentially, if we're interested in one particular compound from one individual, stockpile all that venom and then acquire uh, basically a huge pile of that one compound. And we wouldn't be able to do that without keeping them here. Are you saying a week? Like as in like, can you only extract once a week because it takes time for venom? What does that actually look like on a lifespan? That's a good question. So uh, people have looked into this before and Right now, we consider it that it takes about two weeks for the gland to completely refill because um, we're not taking out, you know, 100% of the venom, but we're getting pretty close. Uh, so we usually like to give them more breathing room than that. So about a month is probably as often as we would, but we're busy, so maybe every six months. Okay, so I mentioned that I study venoms, and I'm kind of a, I call myself a biochemical ecologist because I study venom biochemistry, but I'm also studying how that varies across the landscape for one particular species of rattlesnake, and I'm trying to figure out why it varies and why I'm seeing the venom compositional variation that I'm seeing. Um, and part of that is probably diet, because we know that rattlesnakes use venom to be able to acquire prey. And so what we're doing to sort of answer that question is we have a really good repository of my study species, which is great. They're really common here in Colorado, the prairie rattlesnake. And we're doing gut content analysis. So we're essentially opening up their stomachs and seeing what their most recently acquired prey item was. And we're also looking for things in their hindgut. You can find hair, scales, sometimes you can find almost perfectly preserved mice and lizards when you look in there. So it gives us a pretty good snapshot of what they were consuming and when they were consuming it, if we have good data on all of that. How, how big is the radius for the prairie rattlesnake? So big. Um, so from southern Canada to northern Mexico. Whoa! So my venom project, has it's taken a few years and I'm still doing it, trying to get through that whole range. So that's why you mentioned how long a PhD may take in this yeah. realm. Okay. Yeah, um, I've got pretty good sampling, but there are so many people that are always willing to help and take us to new populations that it's, yeah, it's become kind of a rolling stone, I guess, <laughs> yeah. Do you have like a certain amount or a certain amount of like rattlesnakes that you need to get as a sample size? That's a good question. Um, I say six, but I will take any, I will take one. Um, I'll even take a juvenile. I'm mostly interested in adults right now. Um, so we have some pretty good in-depth populations, but a lot of my samples are just one-off. Mm -hmm. And so I'm essentially sacrificing depth for breadth because mm -hmm. it's such a broad range. Even one sample from one particular area is, is useful. You mentioned the lab, but you're also affiliated with the museum mm -hmm. that's upstairs. A, I actually didn't know that there was anything downstairs. Yeah, nobody knows about us. We have a zoology museum here at UNC. It's located on the first floor of Ross Hall. And if you walk around the halls here at all in between classes or whatever, we have these big glass shelves that are full of really old stuffed bird mounts. And those are part of our collection. We have a lot more um, things that aren't on display. But essentially, we are a repository for 
Um, mostly birds, mammals, and reptiles. Um, a lot of them are Colorado focused. Others are kind of more exotic or rare. But we use our collections for things like teaching. So there are organismal classes, herpetology, ornithology classes that use all of our specimens. Um, but we also can use them for things like research, answering genetic questions, answering dietary questions. Um, so the great thing about a museum is that it basically gives you a snapshot in time of when particular organisms were collected. And so you can end up with a really rich data set with organisms that you might be able to answer questions with in 50 or 100 years that we can't even really conceive of what we can do with them yet. So, And how do you... How do you collect in the museum here? Good question. Um, so the old school way was to go out and collect by euthanizing stuff. So we do not do that, um, and I would never do that. So most of our herp collection actually comes from road kills that are in decent condition. So things that are hit on the road, unfortunately, um, a big part of herping our field work is road cruising, and we find a lot of dead stuff, unfortunately, but we are able to keep it and kind of give it a second life. Mm. Um, and most other things, um, some of them were donated from people. Some of them were even like pets. We have some stuffed parakeets that died naturally. Um, so I would say the most majority of our collection now is coming from road mortalities. And what is your, what is your role with the museum? I would consider myself a curator. So I do a lot of actual preparation that is taking a dead organism and putting it into some form that we can store in the museum. So for example, with mostly birds and mammals, we are gonna skin it and keep the skin and the skeleton and then stuff it with cotton and kind of get rid of everything else. Um, with snakes and lizards and amphibians, we're actually gonna pump them full of ethanol and preservative to um, to keep those collections alive in our kind of fluid collection. So like, I do, like jars? Yeah, we have okay. jars and jars full of dead stuff. Um, so there's different preservation techniques for all of these. So I consider myself somewhat of an expert in some of those um, areas. But then I also just maintain our collection. And that is to say we have thousands and thousands of specimens. And it becomes very arduous to keep all of them organized because um, you have to know exactly what and where everything is and it sounds easy until you have to do it. If you have ever found a rattlesnake on your property or somewhere in Colorado, you should let me know. Uh, my Twitter is buzzworm with three Z's, buzzworm1. So you should hit me up.